Genesis 1, then, I would suggest, provides an account of functional origins, not an account of material origins. The origins of order, not the origins of stuff, objects. Genesis 1 is about God bringing order, functionality, into the midst of non-order, non-functionality. And that's how things work in the ancient world as well. But you can see I'm not imposing it from the ancient world. I'm showing it to you in the text and then saying, oh, by the way, the ancient world thinks this way as well. Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Byler. This week is part two of Daniel and I's discussion about the ancient era's context of Genesis 1 and 2, the creation narratives reacting to John Wallen's talk. And this one, we spend a lot of time talking about the house versus the home narrative of what is going on in these stories, um, why the distinction is important, and how that affects how we read them. Um, next week, we'll be moving on to another example of how time and place affect the communication of the gospel, that being 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 2, 1 through 16, Paul's interesting uh, dialogue with the Corinthians about women, hair length, and head coverings. And I hope you'll find that interesting. So you can stick around for that one. Um, as always, I hope you find what we're doing here fruitful. If you do, please subscribe. Um, give us a rate or a view on iTunes. You can email me at belfastpodcast.gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the Belfast Podcast. And... Um, yeah, that's all I have for you. Now, if the Israelites thought about the world around them something like that, we have the important question to ask. When God communicates to Israelites, whose cosmic geography does he use? Do we expect God to use our cosmic geography? If so, would he count Pluto as a planet or not? You know? Do we, did he use medieval cosmic geography, Hellenistic cosmic geography? How about the cosmic geography of 100 years from now when we get smarter? And No, because cosmic geography always changes. There is no right cosmic geography. And so God just uses theirs. It communicates in terms that are familiar. Not to put a stamp of authority on this cosmic geography, but because you've got to use something to talk about. And here again comes the point. Is God trying to communicate the reality of the cosmic geography? Or is the point of the story something different and the cosmic geography is the tool being used to communicate that point? Right? That's the debate here. You want to move forward to the yeah. um, function and house analogies? Yes. Existence is defined by having a function. Yeah, just and there we purpose go. and role. So that's what I'm going to propose as trying to describe what kind of origins account this is. If the ancient functional focus is, is the key, then existence is defined by having a function. 
And by that I don't mean, you know, okay, so when we talk about the sun functioning, I'm not talking about, was it a burning ball of gas? No, that's, that's scientific functioning. We're not talking about that. I want to know, was it functioning for people in the world that God made for them? And you can't do that until they are there. A tree falls in a forest and nobody's there to hear it. Will it make a sound? Doesn't matter. Interesting question. Okay, but so I'm not talking about scientific functioning. Again, to use that same, he's joking, he's riffing on that question, right? But for that world to be there and no one to experience it, what does it mean? Is it there? Doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, well, if Arrakis and, is there and no one can mine the spice in the form that it takes, at least in the beginning of the series, does it really matter? No, not in the eyes of most people in the Imperium. I mean, the Fremen might like it better, but, you know. And we could get into other discussions that Frank Herbert has in Dune about um, Leto II and terraformation, but essentially that seems to be the question is like, and seems to be the driving force of why I brought up Leah Kynes. If Dune changes ecologically, then its purpose to most of the universe doesn't matter. So therefore, then Arrakis doesn't matter. That is the story of, that is part of the story of Dune, at least ecologically. Same kind of thing going on here. If the planet is there, no one's there to be there or observe it or be on it. Earth, in the case of what the biblical story is talking about, does it matter? No, because we don't live here in that sense. If we didn't live here, I mean. It is not described as Tov Ma'od, as very good, until humanity is placed on it. And what is humanity given to do? To have dominion, to rule, to tend it, to help it flourish. And, and so the thing is only good once there are people involved in making it happen. That's much more meaningful than the rotation of the earth and the speed of its um, rotation and the, um, the, how fast we move around the sun and how fast the sun is moving in the galaxy. And like, those are all good things to think about, but that's not what the Bible's trying to say. Right. Not and in the slightest. This might be a leap, and I'm going to try and be precise in how I say this, but I think that this is why the human, the, let's put it this way, the purely human-made ecological disaster that is what is becoming of the earth, which would be better if we weren't here, is a totally anti-Christian and anti-Bible story now keep in mind how specific i defined that because i do think that we should be taking care of the earth and properly stewarding and not exploiting it unnecessarily again back to dune arrakis and the fremen right it's part of this part of the ecological story frank herbert's trying to tell but i 
on the other side of that coin, well, there's those of us and Christians who should care about how we deal with the environment, however you want to define that, as Jordan Peterson talked about with Joe Rogan. I think we should be concerned about those things. But then I also think the harsh reaction that we're seeing in our current culture of those who would be anti-human in their preservation of the earth are missing the point entirely. They seem to think that there is a, this might be dangerous, purpose for which the earth was created that can function without human beings, which seems to be counter to the story that Genesis is trying to tell. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. I, I think you connected so many dots that have existed, if not in the forefront, in the back of my mind for a long time. The, the blatant... It becomes an anti-human um, story, which yeah. is not at all what the Bible is. Yeah. Well, and we, we need to be careful how we interpret Genesis 1 in a number of ways, especially in the realm of ecology, right? Mm -hmm. Because there have been people who say, oh, the word dominion, we've been given dominion over the mm -hmm. earth, so we can rule it in any way that we want. Mm -hmm. like, no, 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 no. You were given dominion to be good stewards, to take care of it. But there's a relationship here. There's also the implication that it wasn't good. It wasn't very good until we got here. And, and to say that it would be very good if we weren't here it. is an anti-Bible story. Yes. And it is a story. It is an apocalyptic story. Yes. It's eschatological. So, it's very much end times. And I've made this point for a very long time. Politics is just another one. This is a separate topic. Politics is religion. I'll just put it that way. And they have their own eschatology, soteriology, noumenology, all of it. Anyway, um, any more points before we proceed? No, I, I just think that that, he jokingly asked that question, but I think it's a very important question to ask. It's like, okay, if this is a function story, if this is a story about order versus chaos, about putting things in their place, you brought it very well. When, at the, when in the story are things proclaimed to be very good? And then when are things proclaimed to be very bad when humans in some sense, misuse the world in which they are given. Those things are not good, right? The way in which we take things that aren't ours, demolish, diminish, and twist and bend, let's say the natural way of things, um, take that phrase however you'd like, um, right in the i'm even thinking in ways in which they literally take of which shouldn't be theirs in the tree right the nat the well there's many ways in which to interpret that but at least there in some sense there was a thing of which was the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and bad so well maybe maybe not but anyway you can keep going functions i'm talking about functions for people the ordered world that they're talking about has people as, a, as the key part of it. Okay, so if people aren't there, nothing's functioning. Take the account of a house that's been built and nobody's living in it. 
It may well be that the electricity is hooked up, the water is hooked up. If anybody were there to turn the faucets and throw the switches, it would work perfectly well. But it's not functioning because nobody's there. That's what we're talking about with functioning. Not being able and ready to function, but actually functioning for someone. In that context, good is not referring to something that's perfect. Hebrew tov does not refer to that. Now, you could make the case that, well, but when it says God is good, isn't that perfection? Well, God is perfect, yes, I'm not arguing with that, but that's not what is conveyed by the Hebrew word there. The Hebrew word being used uh, throughout uh, the usage in the Old Testament is talking about something that's working the way that it should work. That's many of the contexts that you get. Functioning properly in an ordered system. When I go on a plane to fly down here, I assume that the pilot's in the cockpit doing the pre-flight check, the checklist. You know, he's going down the list. You know, flaps, good. Engine, good. Food. Anyway, uh, oh, that's not on the list anymore. Okay, um, so, you know, making sure it's ready to function. Now, how do I know that it means that here? Context, context, context. We would really know what it meant by good if there were only something that was not good. If it only described a not good situation, then we'd know what good was. If it was not good for... Mm, we do have something. It's not good for... Man to be alone. That's not a statement about moral perfection. We won't explore that. Um, it's not, you know, it's, it's just saying that's not, that's not fully functional yet. Genesis 1, then, I would suggest, provides an account of functional origins, not an account of material origins. The origins of order, not the origins of stuff, objects. Genesis 1 about God bringing order, functionality, into the midst of non-order, non-functionality. And that's how things work in the ancient world as well. But you can see I'm not imposing it from the ancient world. I'm showing it to you in the text, and then saying, oh, by the way, the ancient world thinks this way as well. Now, as a result, in this approach, it doesn't make any sense to ask what objects God created on any given day. Just the wrong questions for the wrong text. The text is not talking about objects being manufactured. The text is not concerned with the existence of matter. Those questions are immaterial. My students somehow learned to live with it, you know. Naming and separating are principal acts of creation. We don't think of them that way, but this is throughout the ancient world. These are the terms they think in. To give something a name is to give it a role and a purpose in an ordered system. To separate it out from other things Pause. distinguishes it for having its own role, its own place in an ordered system. Giving something a role and a purpose and a function tells us what its place is in the story. This is actually something again, that's again. Yeah. I'll just keep. I'll keep hammering. I'll beat this horse to death. 
Arrakis isn't important because it exists in the, in the solar system of Dune. It's important because it has spice. Its function is because it produces something. And it's the only planet that does, which is why there's so much interest around it. If it didn't have that, as it does in some later books, spoiler alert, then it doesn't really matter. Or at least its role is very different. And then people have to figure out how to make spice in other ways. So Frank Herbert's also doing a lot with like the Middle East and oil, but that's a different conversation. So function, order, place, it all happens in all different kinds of ways. It tells us why things are the way they are in a story. And even in a fictional one, it has to work that way. Otherwise, it doesn't matter when you read it. Then the author wouldn't put it in because it wouldn't matter. It doesn't literally probably wouldn't register. So that's all I had to say. I'd say it again. Yeah. So um, this is not to say that the Bible cannot describe things that are physically true, yeah. right? Scientifically true. But I, I do think that when we place the emphasis on the wrong syllable, so to speak, mm -hmm. we end up miscommunicating what is most fundamentally important to gain from the Bible. This is one of the reasons why I'm becoming a bigger and bigger proponent of reading the Bible as fiction, something that we've got a whole episode of on, mm -hmm. on this, right? He did a masterful job with the Jew and Tamar stuff. But the reading it as fiction doesn't mean you have to believe that it's fiction. Mm -hmm. It just means you have to read it <clears throat> not looking for historical facts, looking for literary meaning. And I think that's important because we miss out on so much getting distracted by looking for historical fact. And again, it's not to say it's not important. I'm actually very fascinated with archaeology and mm -hmm. the way that relates to the Bible and things like that. One of my friends um, within the last month sent me a very fascinating video on um, the findings of what was probably um, an altar that Joshua used in sacrifice towards the end of the book of Joshua in the promised land after the conquest. And then very cool stuff and how that that's been kind of not to use a pun, but has been buried in um in the literature because supposedly some non-well-intended scholars are trying to keep that discovery not recognized popularly mm -hmm. uh, because it matches so well with the story itself. Regardless, if we get distracted by trying to prove the historicity of it from understanding the meaning of the story itself, there's no point in the historicity of it, right? So the meaning, as Walton's explaining, is that this is a, a home for us and mm -hmm. that we complete the story, 
not that it was brought into existence in this sequence. So here, I'll go ahead and pull yeah, it Yeah, keep, keep, I think keep going, let him finish, and then we can yeah. transition unless we have other burning things yeah. we want to say. I'm hoping he gets into house versus home more explicitly. System, these are creative acts. Let me use the example of, I've talked about building a house already. So let me use this example. We like having students over the house and lots of times they'll, they'll ask about our place, um, make observations about it. And, and when they ask me um, about our place, they, they don't want me to describe the plumbing and the electrical wiring, uh, the material of the roof and how old or new it is. And, the foundation, uh, the heating, air conditioning, no, no. They're not asking that question. Now, when we think about the cosmos, we talked about the cosmos as a house. That would be the material cosmos. And of course, that's the way our world likes to think. We like to think about the origins of the house the material aspects of the cosmos. And I'm glad we do. I'm glad science does those things because that helps us understand our world better. That's a good thing. Okay, but that's a certain kind of question. And of course, what we've learned as we've learned more about the universe, the expanding universe in which we live, is that in this house story that science helps us understand, we are largely insignificant. I mean, even our galaxy is insignificant in the stretches of the universe, not to mention our solar system or our planet or our continent or our city or me. And the house story makes us feel a little bit puny. A termite's egg in the, anyway, okay? I won't press the analogy, okay? So, but the house story is important to us. That's one story of origins. But see, when my students ask about our place, they don't want to hear the house story. When my students ask about our place, they want to hear the home story. They don't want the origins of the house. They want the origins of the home. They want to know how it became our place, how it works for us how long we've been there, and, and they want the home story. It's an origin story, but it's a different origin story. See, when we come to a biblical text, we have to ask, which origin story are they telling? There's any number of different origin stories you could tell, and we know which one we have interest in because of our scientific mentality because the issues of the day and the arguments we have, oh, I'm sorry, conversations. So we, we know what our world is, but we want to know what their world is. What origin story will they be inclined to tell? What origin story are they telling? What origin story has most significance to them in their world? We have to ask those questions. Let me give you an example. So, um, Say there was a big play that was uh, showing in Cincinnati. And 
uh, you know, a couple hours away, and, but somebody had extra tickets, and they gave you the tickets. And, you know, uh, boy, you'd never be able to afford those tickets. You'd have never bought those. You know, I got a tight budget. But here, somebody gave you these tickets. So you're real excited about it, and you make your way up to Cincinnati. And lo and behold, even though today was 70 degrees, it's suddenly 16 degrees, and there's snow. And uh, I know that never happens here. But, uh, but and, and so, you know, the, the, the traffic's difficult, and it takes longer than you thought. And you get into Cincinnati, and you've got the address, but you know, there's construction on some of the streets, and there's one-way streets, and you get all, all turned around, and then you finally get to the theater, and you say, oh, I've got to park somewhere, and there's no parking anywhere, so you go looking for a park, right? And just everything's going wrong, and you're real stressed about it all, because you're really excited about this, this play. And so you finally get a parking spot, and you head on into the theater, and there you stand at the back, and you look at your tickets, and you say, yeah, right down in the third row. Great tickets, bad timing. So, you know, it goes very quietly. The play's, you know, well underway. Then you sneak down, and then you, oh no, I'm right in the middle of the row there. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You know, and finally you sit down. Then, of course, there's the play going on. So you're already embarrassed enough, so you say, How'd the play start? Well, the gentleman next to you says, this theater was built in 1921. Um, the play was written in five years later, and it was a Pulitzer Prize candidate for that year. The playwright had a long history of critical acclaim, and, and, and so when this theater decided to do it, you know, they, they built a particular set for it. They, do you know they got the Jones and Jones Company to build this set? Isn't it beautiful? And, and the script writer who did the, and you're saying, no, 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 no. How did the play begin? Oh, why didn't you say so? <laughs> See, there are different, different origin stories you can tell. We've opened Genesis 1, and we thought we knew what kind of origin story it is. Maybe we should be open-minded and see if maybe it's something that we didn't consider because the ancient world is not familiar to us. Funny thing about a home story, instead of being insignificant, in the home story, we're honored guests. Now, is the Bible telling the house story or the home story? It's a legitimate question to ask. In a home story, we're honored guests because God has done this for us, ordered it for us, made it function for us. Scientists might call that the fine-tuned universe, the anthropic principle. We just call it good theology. God made the world for us. But that's not all. He made it to be our home. But it's not quite our home. In fact, it's actually a B&B, &B, a bread and breakfast, because it's God's place. 
It's his home, and he's made it accommodating to us because he wants to be here in relationship with us. So the home story is that it's made to function for us, just like a bed and breakfast is set up to function for the guests, but it belongs to somebody else, and they want to relate to us. You know, in, when Jesus is talking to the disciples in the upper room, John 14, he tells them, you know, I'm, I'm going away. No, 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 don't do it. No, I'm going away. Um, but uh, don't worry about it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, then I'll come back to get you, to take you there, so that, don't miss it, so that where I am, you might also be. That's not the first time that God was preparing a place for us. That's what this is. That's where we are. God has prepared this place for us so that where we are, He is. Relationship. That's what it's about. Now, if God's presence is somewhere, that makes it sacred space. Okay, pause. I think that's good enough for that. Yeah. But I love what he's saying. And back to what we were alluding to earlier with the different conceptions of even about ecological function. <clears throat> the story without us here, at least in the biblical sense, doesn't make any sense. So, and it's, it's important to know that this is how the Bible starts. It's giving us time and place. It's giving us a place in which we were meant to function. In the same way the author is giving us indications about what it means to function well in the world. And this language of house and home even in, think about, think about how Herbert phrases at the beginning of Dune. Do not be deceived. Talking of Paul Atreides. Do not be deceived that he lived his first 15 years on Caladan. For the planet Arrakis, the one known as Dune, is what? Is forever his home. That being the place that func that formed him the most, and then where he ended up living the rest of his life. But even if he lived somewhere, it wasn't his home because that's not what formed him. It's not what gave him his purpose, his function. It's the same thing going on here. To, um, as, as Dr. Warren keeps going, he talks about how um, this set, this creation story, as it's set up, is when understood culturally, properly, is the story of God building a temple where we are to be with him, which is where he's about to go. 
And I think that's beautiful. The temple, the word temple isn't in the text. The word temple isn't even in Hebrew present there. Mm-hmm. But culturally, they would have understood it to be so. And he'll explain why if you go watch. Um, but I think that's an important thing to understand is that all of creation is said to be a temple. Because mm-hmm. if you don't get that, I don't think you get the rest of the story, at least as well as you could. And that fundamentally shows you that, because we miss that all the time, right? It has to do with the seven-day creation cycle and a seven-day ordination of a temple, consecration of a temple, or a tabernacle happens in both. Rest on the seventh day. Rest on the seventh day. Residing in the temple. Resting in the temple all of that. When you, a, a God rests in a temple in the ancient world, that's how they thought about it. And so when God rests on the seventh day, the culmination of the, t- the temple consecration ceremony, it's seen as a temple. And when, when we view all of creation as a temple, that shows us something about how we are to function in creation. And it brings God to us constantly. Like God's always present. And I think that's an important, a very important point that we oftentimes miss. And so seeing this story in its time and its place enriches the story makes it hd you know as opposed to standard or some kind of pixelated definition and it helps us orient ourselves towards god more properly in our lives and all of that is missed if you only see this story as talking about the physical production of the material world. Not to say that it can't be both. But if or you that view God it, can't do both. Or that God can't do both. But the story that seems to be being told in the first pages of the Bible is not a creation out of nothing. The existence or brought to existence of the physical world. It is the ordering and the functioning of the physical world with the culmination of that being the rest of God and the idols, the image of the God being put in the temple on the sixth day to rule, function, and reign on, in the temple on the earth. Yeah. And don't miss that we are the centerpiece right we're the idol or the image which is why we are to respect and care for each other because just as much i am as i am the image of god so are you and that means that reverence for each other means reverence for the one whose image we represent mm-hmm. 
And irreverence means irreverence for the one whose image we represent. And maybe this is um, foretelling things to come in the podcast, but this is not a gospel of sin management. This is, this is a story the Bible is telling. <laughs>